Good morning and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff show. Today, it's just the Nick show because Griff is out of town on some business. No worries, we're going to get this thing cranked out. I'm excited about our fifth episode total here, uh, but let's do our quick market check. Um, we've had some good, uh, some good movements in the markets here um, to, the, uh, to the bullish side on, uh, on Bitcoin here. Obviously, uh, we've got some, uh, some movement here. Let's see, 41,811 uh, as of today. Today is, Jan- uh, nope, it's not January anymore. It is February 5th. 2022, 9.40 a.m., and we are sitting at 41800 bucks. So, um, obviously, we all know uh, the, the three, three to, to four-month downturn we've seen here. Uh, but, again, it's a short term. You know, I was thinking about it this week. Um, with, these, uh, with these dollar prices of Bitcoin, I mean, does that really matter? Uh, it really depends on, I, I guess, what your end game is, right? Um, I know Griff and I are polling for a Bitcoin standard, a Bitcoin store of value, unit of account, medium of exchange. And if those, if those things do eventually become true, does, does the U.S. dollar price of Bitcoin truly matter? Uh, I don't think it does. You know, uh, I, who, know who knows what, what the future could be? And, and um, you know, I, I guess depending on, on the end game and what actually ends up happening in the end game, uh, I guess that that truly uh, depends uh, or, or, or dictates whether the, the USD price matters or not, right? Uh, but then let's see, let's check out the S&P here. One day they're, they're doing all right, 4,500. Um, they had a little bit of that, that uh, uptick here for, for a few days for, or yesterday, um, but then uh, not, not quite the parabolic shot that we're hoping for that uh, keeps continuing with Bitcoin. But um, again, you can kind of see that uh, the three-month the three-month scale here, uh, S&P compared to uh, Bitcoin, a little different looking, right? Um, so there's our market update here. Um, it's definitely going to be a little bit of a different episode here, not having Griff to kind of bounce ideas and thoughts off of. But uh, so I, what I had posted on Twitter the other day, I want to go through this uh, this Bitcoin first article um, that was, or, or research paper, how, whatever it's called, that was written by Fidelity. It's written by the uh, Fidelity Digital Assets team. Um, if you guys haven't had a chance to check out any of Fidelity's information um, on uh, on Bitcoin, it's really interesting stuff. You know, a lot of the a lot of the things that I read um, about Bitcoin, um, a lot of stuff on Twitter, just articles online, um, podcasts, YouTube videos, and um, you know, you don't see a whole lot of writing that's the 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 academic or institutional style of writing. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, now obviously you got you've got plenty of books out there, uh, the Bitcoin standard, the fiat standard that all kind of place together. Um, that's really good writing, hundred uh, percent, obviously. But um, this style of writing is is really interesting in the way that they break down what Bitcoin is and how it can play into the future. So um, I am going to uh, hop right into this puppy, and uh, I just want to go down uh, go down the list here. Um, you can see I've got my notes on the right side, as well as the actual article on the left here. So this is called uh, Bitcoin First, Why Investors Need to Consider Bitcoin Separately from Other Digital Assets. So uh, the first piece that they, they kind of hit on here, and, and, and we can go through these here, but they, they start off with this executive summary of here's, here's kind of a, a couple of bullet points of what we believe um, is true about Bitcoin and the digital asset space, um, you know, after doing the research that they did to prepare for this. So First one is that Bitcoin is best understood as a monetary good 
And one of the primary investment thesis for Bitcoin is as a store value asset in an increasingly digital world. I mean, yeah, 100%, right? Uh, over here on my notes here, and they mention it a little bit further below, but a monetary good is a good that's valued for its tradeability for other goods, not its consumption or use. And this is a big argument that a lot of the gold people will use. You know, there's no intrinsic value of Bitcoin. Um, you know, they, and they argue that, that gold has intrinsic value because it can be used in electronics. It can be used for jewelry um, as well as maybe a few others. Right. Uh, and that's that's the intrinsic value of gold. Um, you know, I mean, I, I guess we could go down that we could go down that path of logic, but I feel like it's flawed in the sense. Right. Because you think about Bitcoin and they get into it as well here. Um, they talk about Bitcoin, the asset versus Bitcoin, the network. Um, and those are two completely separate things. Um, but, but it's important to note that the, uh, the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is, well, do you accept Bitcoin or not? You know, it's the same with gold or us dollars or anything else, right? If, if you've got something that you want to, you want to buy, or if you, if there's something that you want to buy and you've got something that you want to pay for it, but nobody wants that thing that you've got to pay for it. Well, then what's the real value of it? It's zero, right? Um, whether it's got intrinsic value or not, um, if nobody wants it, there's not really much value for it. So let's keep let's keep moving here. Bitcoin is fundamentally different from any other digital asset. No other digital asset is likely to improve upon Bitcoin as a monetary good because Bitcoin is the most relative to other digital assets, secure, decentralized, sound digital money and improvement will necessarily face trade offs. This is a this is a huge piece here whenever they talk about um, the security and the decentralization pieces. Um, you know, again, we're going to keep moving and, and we'll get into more detail in this here in a second. Um, so the, the next piece here, this one was something that uh, that I haven't done a whole lot of research on, but uh, there is not necessarily mutual exclusivity between the success of the Bitcoin network and all other digital asset networks. Rather, the rest of the digital asset ecosystem can fulfill different needs or solve other problems that Bitcoin simply does not. Um that's a, this is an interesting one, you know. Uh, I think Bitcoin is is very build onable um, in that you know all these different platforms and, and use use cases and, and functionalities can be built upon Bitcoin. I believe, I think, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think based on things that I've read, people that I've heard from, I'm pretty sure you can do that on Bitcoin. Um, I think right now, though, and, and you'll see um, a little bit later on when they get into um, you know some of these other networks like Ethereum. Uh, that that offer smart contracts and and d apps and all these other different things you can now do on bitcoin um, they they uh, they decided to cut the decentralization in uh, in favor of the scalability um, which is which is an interesting idea right if you think about the security and the decentralization pieces of of bitcoin i mean those are two of the foundational pieces if if one of those is not true then there's a huge gap in the thesis for the end game of bitcoin um, okay, this next piece here, other non-Bitcoin projects should be evaluated from a different perspective than Bitcoin, 100%, right? We can't compare apples to oranges with the same criteria. It's two different things. Uh, Bitcoin should be considered an entry point, or the only point, for traditional allocators looking to gain exposure to digital assets. I mean, yeah, I think uh, if, you're, if you're looking into the, to the digital asset world, uh, Bitcoin is for sure your entry point. It is the native currency of the internet. And, and you know, only time will, will prove that to be true. Um, 
But uh, yeah, it's for sure the entry point, right? Um, investors should hold two distinctively separate frameworks for considering investment in its digital asset ecosystem. The first framework examines the inclusion of Bitcoin as an emerging monetary good, and the second considers the addition of other digital assets that exhibit venture capital-like properties. So this is kind of an interesting one, right? It's, it, this is talking about investing in Bitcoin, uh, investing, saving, however you want to look at that, in Bitcoin as a monetary good, right? Which we talked about that definition right up in here. Um, and then other digital assets, all your, uh, all your altcoins or your shitcoins, for lack of better terms, um, can be looked at with a venture capital-like uh, uh, perspective, right? As far as what's the upside here? You know, you, you, we're looking at we're looking at this like it would be a startup, you know, because the vast majorities are uh, vast majority of these are startups. Um, so, so there's a couple of the a uh, couple of the main points here that they they give um, to kind of summarize what is going to be in the rest of this paper. Um, but man, those are some pretty good heavy hitter pieces there um, that they break down into pretty good detail. Um, I will preface, you know, going through the rest of this thing. Um, some of the some of the some of the topics in here are things that I've looked into a decent amount, and I really love the ideas of. Some of them are still a little new, um, and so let's just go down this thing and, and read it and figure it out. See if we can't uh, think about this thing for ourselves. So, like I mentioned earlier, the the difference between the Bit Bitcoin the network and Bitcoin the asset. Um, this one is uh, this one is is pretty interesting. So. I'm just going to go through here and read a couple of these highlights. Um, there is Bitcoin, the network or payment system, and then there is Bitcoin, the token or asset. Um, and then they, they kind of dictate, you know, terminology that they're going to use there. Um, so so the, they're talking about the code here, right? The, the source code that the network is, is uh, operating upon. Um, and this code acts like a protocol and provides the rules that govern the Bitcoin network. That's that's a good thing. We want to have rules that govern the network if it's going to be controlling all of the economic value of uh, everyone that uses that, right? We want to have some some rules and and regulations and, and code and law that uh, that keep everything in order. Um, so, <clears throat> moving on here again. This is twenty six pages here. I'm just going to keep things moving. So, um, let's see. Yeah, so Bitcoin, the network is not compatible with other networks. This is an interesting one. So anyone can join or leave the Bitcoin network as long as they follow the core rules, um, which is really good, right? This is a, a free, open source, decentralized, secure network that anybody can join as long as they follow those core rules, right? The protocols of the Bitcoin network. Um, and, and anybody that uh, anybody that joins and doesn't want to follow those rules, they want to make forged transactions or they... Uh, they just don't want to follow the rules in some other way. I don't know exactly how 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 else you wouldn't follow the rules, but they will uh, they will naturally be rejected uh, by the other users, right? Just it, it, in in the nature of how the blockchain works, right? If you try to if you try to fudge something up, you're going to mess up the previous hash and the future hash, and you're going to have to continue uh, you're going to have to continue verifying that forged transaction into perpetuity. Um, which is a whole other concept that we, we're going to get into uh, with, with the uh, actual blockchain and how the actual blockchain works. Um, and again, this guy right here that you're listening to is not an expert. Um, I'm just learning some stuff here and uh, trying to share with you guys. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this stuff. Hey, hit us on Twitter at uh, Nick and Griff Show, all spelled out. Um, 
we like to talk with people. If you want to hit us up, maybe have a conversation, talk about ideas, come talk to us on Twitter, baby. Um, okay, next piece here. Therefore, while Bitcoin's code is open sourced and can be and can be copied and modified, these copies or derivations. I hope that I pronounced that right. I really struggle with that word. Deriv- derivations. I don't know. Uh, the derivations of Bitcoin are entirely separate networks and are not backward compatible with the original Bitcoin network. Um, this is uh, this is a huge piece here. Further, furthermore, Bitcoin tokens are native to the Bitcoin network and cannot be removed or transported to another blockchain network. So this one, uh, this one is interesting here. Uh, and there's another quote that that'll be a little bit further down that hits on this again. Uh, but the idea that uh, that the sources uh, the the source code is open. You, you can go copy that. Somebody could copy the code of Bitcoin exactly and create another Bitcoin that operates the exact same. Um, and uh, and I and there's a quote down here from Eric Voorhees uh, with a debate that on a, from a debate that he had had with Peter Schiff, uh, the Bitcoin versus gold debate on I can't remember if it was medium of exchange or store value or whatever it was, but he had a really good quote that'll tie back into to this piece here um, that'll be really cool. So. The next piece here, why we believe Bitcoin is best understood as a monetary good. So th- this is a couple of really cool pieces here. And this chart that I've got on my, uh, on my notes and from the, uh, from the article is really cool. So uh, again, here, here's the definition that I got uh, from, from this exact paper. So a monetary good is a good that is valued for its tr- uh, tradability for other goods, not its consumption or use. Throughout history, various goods have been used as money, such as shells, beads, stones, fur, and wampum, uh, which leads to the question, why do some things uh, become treated as a monetary good while others do not? Um, this, is, uh, this is a really cool piece here. Uh, so if we just go down, if we just go down this little, uh, this little chart here, so we, we can see we're, we're comparing, uh, let's see here, let me, use my, uh, let me use my laser here. So we can see we're, we're comparing gold to Bitcoin to fiat currency. So, uh, and we're comparing it in all these different, uh, all these different categories. So this is really interesting. So the, the durability piece, right? While all physical, uh, while all physically durable fiat currencies over history uh, has not maintained purchasing power durability. Um, or, oh, sorry. While all are physically durable, fiat currency over history has not maintained purchasing power durability, right? We talked about the inflation piece there. Um, so gold and Bitcoin, both were good there. Divisibility. This is a, a big one when it comes to medium of exchange, right? And regular everyday transactions. Physical gold is only divisible to small pieces. Bitcoin is divisible to eight decimal places, which is really interesting. Um, we know fiat currency, um, it, it also operates on a divisible um, level where, uh, where you can make those smaller transactions and the larger transactions. Um, so Gold doesn't fare so well. Bitcoin and fiat do. Uh, fungibility. This one. This one is still such a, a tough concept to wrap your head around. Um, so we can see that gold and Bitcoin both get the get the green light here in this one, uh, but fiat does not. So gold and Bitcoin are fungible, but fiat currency is not fungible with other fiat. U.S. dollar. Uh, U.S. dollar is not fungible with Canadian dollar. So really, the the idea of fungibility is. A one pound gold bar can be replaced by another one pound gold bar that they're, they're fungible. Okay. One Bitcoin 
will always be the same as another one Bitcoin, right? One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Those two are fungible. Um, the fiat currency is saying that uh, it doesn't meet the fungibility piece because, you know, uh, $1 does not equal one euro, right? They're, they're not fungible. They don't, they can't, uh, they can't just replace each other. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Go look up the definition. You, you, you'll figure it out. Um, portability. So, hey, how, how, much, how much gold can I keep in my pockets for my regular everyday transactions? This one gets, uh, gold gets the, uh, the thumbs down on this one, but gold has a high value to weight ratio, but compared to others is still heavy and cumbersome to transport. Uh, that's the absolute truth. I mean, if you're going to go buy a car down at the local dealership, I mean, you're going to bring like, you're going to bring like that amount of money in gold in your pockets. I mean, that'd be tough. You could do it. You probably could do it for sure. You bring a little bag or something, but I mean, why, uh, why not just, uh, my screen's probably small, but why not bring this little guy? Why not bring our phones? Right. <clears throat> okay. Next piece here. Verifiability, uh, both gold and fiat currencies have been counterfeited. Gold can be verified, but only through a cumbersome SSA, 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 uh, however, whatever that word is. Um, it's going to take, it takes a little bit of a process to verify gold. That's all I'm saying. Um, but we, we, we know that uh, Bitcoin is literally built on top of the blockchain um, where this piece is not even in question, uh, which, is, which is incredible, which is really cool. Um, the scarce piece of this deal, uh, gold and Bitcoin get the uh, thumbs up. Fiat gets the thumbs down. Gold is scarce. Bitcoin is scarce and finite, which was a, a really cool piece that, that, that you got to think about here. Um, scarce and finite um, as opposed to gold just being scarce. Um, the only constraint on fiat currency is willingness, uh, is the willingness of governments or central banks to print more money, right? Um, if, uh, if, if we've got, you know, a trillion dollars out there in circulation, they decide that they're going to print a hundred trillion more. Well, then our dollar is not very scarce, right? That's obviously an extreme example, but, um, that's the, the scarcity piece. And then the track record, I think that, uh, this is probably the only reason that, that people don't like Bitcoin that and just because they don't understand the uh, foundational pieces of it, but uh, but but gold is is got the longest track record here, um, and then it men mentions down here that that fiat uh, currency have been around, but they don't have a good track record when they are around, and Bitcoin is just so new that it gets a thumbs down based on not having a track record at all, right? It's like you'd rather have uh, well, I don't know this, I don't know if you'd rather have bad credit than no credit, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, fiat currency has been around. It's got, it's, it gets the same grade as Bitcoin on this one simply because Bitcoin doesn't have any track record other than the past 10 years or so, right? Okay, next piece here. So now, now we're going to get into uh, some, some cool stuff here, I think. Let's see. Bitcoin early uh, clearly possesses a lot of good qualities of money. Okay, let's see here. So yeah, so Bitcoin clearly... I'm reading right here. Bitcoin clearly possesses a lot of good qualities of money, combining the scarcity and durability of gold with the ease of use, uh, storage, and transportability of fiat, even improving upon it. Which is uh, which is a, a big piece there, right? Is is you know, Bitcoin, uh, and, and they say it a little later on, but uh, you know, Bitcoin wasn't just uh, an incremental change that helped to make things a little bit better. I mean, it's like a, a foundational piece that changed 
um, that, that's moving us toward uh, a better future, which is really cool. Um, and then they go on to mention here a little bit about <clears throat> Bitcoin not being a company. Therefore, its value is, uh, must be derived from its ability to better fulfill the characteristics of a monetary good compared to traditional alternatives, which is which is interesting. Um, so th this idea here now that the next piece here, Bitcoin's value is driven by its enforceable scarcity. So this is kind of a cool idea. Um, so Bitcoin's current inflation rate is 1.8% uh, of 1.8% is roughly equal to that of golds, um, which is which is pretty, uh, pretty cool to see that that gold and Bitcoin kind of have a similar inflation rate at the time being, um, which is interesting. Uh, but unlike gold, it is also provably finite. So we know that because of the halving cycles of, uh, of Bitcoin, the flow, right? If you remember back to some of our previous conversations, the stock to flow, the flow, which is the, uh, the influx of new Bitcoin, it, it decreases by half every about four years. It's 210,000 blocks added to the chain. But that flow gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, creating a, uh, an ever fixed uh, or increasingly fixed supply of Bitcoin, which is really cool. Um, so Bitcoin's monetary policy can be viewed as the most credible. Um, so they're talking about, you know, um, the, the inflation uh, of gold right now being 1.8%. Uh, but then over time, it becomes provably finite and there will only be 21 million Bitcoin ever in existence or in circulation. Um, so that's, that's, uh, that's great stuff. Uh, but then they pose a great question here, but how is Bitcoin scarcity, it's 21 million supply cap enforced? Two key characteristics. So, so now we're going to start talking about the decentralization and the security pieces. So the first part, part they're going to hit on here is, um, is the decentralization. So um, yes, but only through consensus of the network participants and those operators, it can be changed, right? They're talking about the code can be changed um, as far as, uh, uh, you know, the, the monetary policy of swords, if you want to call it that, of Bitcoin, the protocol can be changed, but only through consensus. It's actually a 90% consensus, which is really cool. Uh, but so, so let's, let's go back here, just, just right up here to the beginning. Uh, no one person, corporation, or government owns or controls the Bitcoin network or the rules that govern the network. As a completely decentralized network, this is running, that is running open source code, the participants of the network must adhere to the code's rules that govern the network. The 21 million supply cap was written in the original Bitcoin source code, which, con uh, which continues to run the Bitcoin network today. Cool. Okay, uh, let's move on to this next piece here. Um, yeah. So there is not a large consortium to have sway or voting power. More importantly, the network was designed with incentives to not change the supply cap. It would not be in the economic interest of the current network participants to raise or adjust the supply cap, as doing so would only serve to inflate the supply of Bitcoin and dilute the value of their holdings, or in the, or in the case of miners, their mining rewards. I think that is a huge piece. I think we as humans, uh, we operate big time on incentive structures structures. Um, if, if, if there's not a good incentive structure built into something, um, I think you're going to run into issues, right? Um, so this is really cool to see that, you know, the incentives are built into the protocol of Bitcoin to hold that supply fixed 
uh, and not change that to, to a larger amount or, or, or a smaller amount or whatever, right? It's held there. And, and that incentive is to, to keep the value, to, to store the value, to hold the value static um, of your holdings rather than diluting them. Obviously, we don't want that. Um, so then second piece here, uh, the Bitcoin network is, uh, is uh, censorship resistant. Um, and we're going to get into the network effect here in just a second, which is a really cool piece. Um, so because no person, corporation or government owns or controls the Bitcoin network, it is very resistant to censorship. In addition, the Bitcoin network has no geographical boundaries, making it difficult for a nation state to assume control or regulation of the network and the core Bitcoin code itself. Um, let's see here. In fact, network participants are incentivized to defend these very characteristics of a scarce asset and an immutable ledger. Um, again, just still really on the, on the decentralization piece, the security of it. I mean, it, it all goes together, right? Uh, but man, these pieces are so important. And it's, it's, it's crazy that this was created um, by you know, a, a small group of cryptographers um, they got together, obviously, Satoshi Nakamoto put together the, the, the skeleton of the deal. But I mean, it's uh, such an innovation, you know, it's it, and they talk about it here a little bit, but you, you can only invent the wheel one time, you know, uh, digital scarcity was created with Bitcoin. And uh, I don't know that that can ever be created again, in a meaningful way that disrupts Bitcoin. And they get into that here here in a little bit. Um, so Let's just keep reading some of these highlights here. We won't be so bold as to predict, predict there will only ever be one money, but we do believe that one monetary good will come to dominate, dominate, dominate the digital asset ecosystem due to the very powerful effects of networks. Oh, this is such a good piece here. You guys are going to love this network effects piece. So monetary network effects are extremely powerful. Many investors are familiar with the power of network effects where the value of a given network increases exponentially as the number of its users grow or number of its users grows. Um, I'm going to skip a couple of pieces there. If investors are looking for a digital asset as a monetary good, one with the ability to act as a store of value, then they will naturally choose the one with the largest, most secure, most decentralized and most liquid network. I mean, that's uh, that's 100% the truth, right? If you're looking for somewhere to store your, your economic value, to store your time, to store your labor, um, you're going to find somewhere uh, to store it that's that's the largest, that's most widely accepted, right? It's the most secure, meaning your, your, your value isn't just going to erode away. It's the most decentralized in that, uh, you know, somebody can't just come over and take control and say, oh, these are mine now, or these are worth X amount now or whatever types of regulation that may be, right? So that's the decentralization piece. And the most liquid, uh, uh, I think the liquid term is a little, little misleading here. That could either mean um, it's, it's the largest uh, by, by market cap, but they've already mentioned that, or it could mean, hey, I can put my money in and take it out as quick as I can, right? That, that being liquid. Um, so then, uh, okay, so this piece, you guys are gonna love this piece. So here is, uh, here's this, Here's this virtual or this virtuous cycle of reflexivity of Bitcoin or reflexivity of Bitcoin. So listen, listen to this, uh, this string of a couple of sentences here. Um, 
there's also a reflexive property to monetary networks. People observe others joining a monetary network with uh, which incentivizes them to join as well as they also want to be on the network where their, their peers or business partners reside. Um, and then just below that, they mentioned PayPal and Venmo as examples. So if you and all your friends are all, or, or, if, or not you yet, if all of your friends are on PayPal and Venmo and they use that to send money back and forth, or maybe it's Cash App, maybe it's Strike, maybe it's uh, something else, right? Maybe it's just Zelle or something boring like that. Uh, but if more of your friends and peers and colleagues are, are using those networks, you're almost incentivized to go use those things because then you can interact with your friends, your peers, whoever it is, um, a lot easier, right? If you're all on the same network, um, you can all operate together, uh, which is a good deal. Uh, in the case of Bitcoin, the reflexive property is even more pronounced because it doesn't just include passive holders of the asset, but it also includes miners that actively increase the security of the network. As more people believe Bitcoin has superior monetary properties and opt out or opt to store their wealth in it, demand increases. This, in turn, leads to higher prices, particularly as supply is inelastic or unresponsive to price, which I'm going to get into here in a second. Uh, miners are very are, are then incentivized to increase their capital expenditure and computing power as a higher as higher prices lead to higher profit margins. More computing power devoted to Bitcoin mining leads to higher security of the network, which in turn makes the asset more attractive, leading once again to more users and investors. I mean, that is really freaking cool, right? So you talk about the, the network effect of more users, more users and holders starting here. So the more friends that you got that own Bitcoin that are sending Bitcoin back and forth, that are paying for things with, with Bitcoin, it's more efficient, it's quicker. The more, the more users and holders of that, that network that you see is going to create, again, uh, a higher demand to use that network. And the higher demand is going to increase the prices. It's going to increase the prices uh, based on uh, one of these big pieces here, this particularly, particularly as supply is inelastic, or unresponsive to price. Um, <clears throat> this is a big piece for Bitcoin. You know, 21 million Bitcoin ever going to be in circulation, ever, ever, ever. Uh, whenever, whenever the price of gold shoots through the roof, if it ever does, miners are big time incentivized to go out and expend a ton of capital, creating more supply of gold. It will increase at larger rates uh, because it's more profitable because the gold is more valuable itself. Uh, this is true with any other good or service in the market. Um, if, if, if barbers are sought after and nobody can get a good haircut, well, the value of a barber goes up, right? You're going to pay more for a haircut because it's a scarce good or it's a scarce service, right? And so what's going to happen is if, uh, is if you're a barber and you can make a hundred bucks for a haircut for, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, well, I bet there's going to be a lot more barbers. They're going to flood the market with new barbers. And as that supply increases, the, the demand is going to decrease uh, because more people are getting good haircuts and therefore the value will decrease. Uh, this happens with any other good or service, right? Uh, whenever price pumps, the supply gets flooded and then you, fi you, you find that new equi equilibrium, right? Or it comes back to equilibrium. Demand shoots up, price shoots up, 
supply then would increase and drop that price back down to somewhere around an equilibrium price that's a little bit more acceptable, right? I wouldn't pay a hundred bucks to go get my hair cut. Uh, but if there was only one barber in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I might end up having to pay a hundred bucks for a haircut, right? So that's a really important piece there. So uh, again, these higher demand, higher demand equaling higher prices then creates more incentive for miners to expend more capital uh, because that Bitcoin reward, the blockchain reward that they get is, is worth more, right? With higher prices, Bitcoin is worth more. Um, incentivizing more miners to come in and, uh, and, and mine for more Bitcoin. And when we have more miners, we all automatically have higher security, right? They're verifying more blocks. There's more computer and hashing power in the entire network, which creates higher security. And higher security creates uh, more attractiveness in the network and whole, which in turn drives more users and holders and creating this virtuous cycle of Bitcoin, which is, which is really freaking cool to see it um, kind of visualized out like this, but really written down um, in, in a concise manner. That's, that's a really cool process right there. Um, so looking at a couple of these other pieces here, every investor looking to store value in a monetary good is making a choice as to which monetary network they are opting into, whether they are acknowledging it or not. That's really a, that's a really powerful piece there. Uh, I wrote a little note, uh, networks as groups seem to be an innate human thing. Um, I, I think that we are naturally social beings. Um, <clears throat> that just that just makes sense to me. I think there may be some type of scientific backing on that or uh, uh, what is the correct term? Sociological backing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting piece that, you know, whether you're looking for it or not, whether you're conscious of, of it or not you are choosing monetary networks, which is really cool. Um, let's see here. There is a, a ton of great stuff in here. Let me, let me go back to here to this quote um, that I had mentioned a second ago from Eric Voorhees from that debate uh, with Peter Schiff. So uh, right here, this sentence starting here, a competitor that tries to merely copy Bitcoin's entire code will also fail as there will be no reason to switch from the largest monetary network to one that is completely identical, but a fraction of the size. Now, now listen to this quote here from uh, Eric Voorhees. Bitcoin isn't scarce because there are other cryptos is the same as saying gold isn't scarce um, because there are other precious metals. Sure, you can copy the code, but the code is not the network. You cannot copy the hash power of the miners. You cannot copy the infrastructure of all the wallets and all the companies that operate on the Bitcoin network. And finally, you cannot copy the reputation that Bitcoin has earned over time. Man, that's powerful, right? Like uh, this being an open source technology, sure, you can go copy it. You can create an exact copy of Bitcoin, call it Bitcoin 2, right? Whatever you want to call it. Uh, but who, who, who would jump over to something that's exactly the same as what's already created with Bitcoin? for a, a much lesser uh, of a network, right? There's not near as much security because there's the, the network isn't as large. There's not as many miners. Um, there's not as many people on it that, that are using it on a regular basis. Um, there, there's not the, the entire infrastructure of all the, all the co companies that have created these wallets and platforms um, to, to utilize and interact with the Bitcoin network. Um, that's a really powerful quote there from Eric Voorhees. Uh, go check, uh, go check those guys out on on uh, YouTube. I don't know about you guys, but 
I love getting on YouTube and um, and uh, just listening to debates on people uh, talking about Bitcoin versus gold or Bitcoin versus fiat or just Bitcoin versus anything else or why Bitcoin will fail or why Bitcoin is is the future. Um, it's a really, uh, really fun way to to kind of bring your your perspective a little bit more well-rounded, uh, bring it around a full circle here. Um, let's skip through a couple of these pieces here. I've got to admit here, I've got I've done a bad thing. I've got my I've got my iPad plugged into the laptop and my laptop is now at since we started, it's down to 17 percent. I don't know how we're, I don't know how we're going to figure this out here because we are only on page 10 and there's 26 pages. Let's skip through here a couple of these pieces. Oh, this blockchain trilemma is a really interesting piece. So I'll hit on this one on my own. So on, on the, the picture of the note, oh, well, let's go back over here. Um, uh, let's go back. No. Oh, well. Done with the notes here. Um, okay. So this little picture down here. So it's talking about, uh, so it's talking about this trilemma, this dilemma between uh, the three things that you're seeing here on this, on this little, this little chart here, decentralization, scalability, and, and security. So what they were talking about here is with a blockchain, with a digital asset, with a digital currency, there are three things that you can look at, the decentralization, scalability, and security. But you can only prioritize two things. So you have to either pick decentralization and scalability, scalability and security, scalability and decentralization. You know, you can only choose two. Um, and the interesting piece here, uh, you talk about Bitcoin. Bitcoin chose the decentralization piece and the, and the security piece and not the scalability piece. Um, I, I think probably the biggest issues right now that people are having issues um, getting over with Bitcoin are, uh, are the, uh, the scalability issues, right? Uh, the blockchain network or the blockchain can only, uh, or each block of the network is only containing right now uh, like a thousand to 3000 transactions. Uh, and that's mined and verified every 10 minutes. Uh, for example, or for comparison, uh, Visa and MasterCard do like 24,000 transactions a second or something like that, something stupid. I mean, there's like not even a comparison. You can't even compare uh, the Bitcoin uh, the, or the block verification to something like Visa or MasterCard. Um, now, there's a whole nother conversation to, had about, to be had about um, whether you compare um, Bitcoin to uh, the Bitcoin, uh, let me see here. The Bitcoin final settlement to Visa, can you actually compare those two? Are those two comparable or is it comparing apples to oranges? Um, you know, that, that comes down to the, uh, to the final settlement conversation that people have. That is a very important one. You know, in, in the current system that we operate in today, um, you know, whenever you swipe your, your debit card, whether it's a Visa or MasterCard, whatever that, whatever that is, or credit card, um, that is not what is called final settlement. Um, so you swipe your card at the grocery store to buy your groceries. That's a, that's, that's a transaction being settled on a ledger statement between your bank or the credit card company and the grocery store and, and their ledger statement, right? So it's saying, hey, it's basically pe people just passing messages around. Hey, this guy uh, sends you 50 bucks and they're like, okay, I'll take 50 bucks. Cool. They put it on their ledger statement and then they settle and they say, OK, now my now my uh, ledger statement over here is less fifty dollars. And 
this ledger statement over here is now plus $50. Okay, cool. And then those two have to take their ledger statements and settle with a larger company above. And I don't know how many layers there are until you get to final settlement at the central bank level. Um, but the, the final settlement uh, of a transaction in our current system is at the central bank level. Um, and that takes a while to get there, uh, believe it or not. Uh, whereas with Bitcoin, the verification on the blockchain, that is final settlement. And that happens in 10 minutes um, versus, you know, if, if you're to send somebody, uh, if I were to send Griff some money uh, all the way over in, uh, in Sacramento, California from Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, via the original, like the, the, um, the legacy financial system, it's going to take two or three, four days for that final settlement to actually happen. Whereas I can use either the lightning network, I could use the lightning network and, and send him those dollars instantaneously, and then he can do with it what he wants. Um, or I can send him something directly on the Bitcoin network, and, uh, and, it, and it's a final settlement within 10 minutes, which is a, a really interesting piece. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think we'll probably go ahead and, uh, and, and cut it short here. I uh, have some some battery issues. I've got the laptop plugged in. We'll be all right. We're going to be all right to finish. But um, man, this paper, this Bitcoin first paper from Fidelity Digital Assets is really cool. We made it about halfway through there. Um, there's definitely some good stuff toward the end. Um, and, and, and it does take a little bit of time to break down some of that stuff and really read it to, to make sense of some of it. Um, so we'll, we'll hit that in another episode. But hey, I hope you guys are having a, a good week so far. It is obviously Saturday. I hope you guys are having a good day. Um, yeah, we should be back next week, uh, on a, on a regular schedule. Griff will be back in town. We'll, uh, I think we'll probably pick back up on the, uh, Bitcoin. What is it series? Um, we'll either be picking up with unit of accounts or, uh, digital property. Um, and I know we've talked more about the digital property piece, so we'll see, we'll see. I think the unit of, of account piece would be really interesting, right? Uh, as far as how do we denominate things in Bitcoin? Um, that's a big piece. You know, we can't ever be a medium of exchange if we don't have the unit of account piece, uh, unit of account piece figured out. Um, so that'll be an interesting one to go over. But um, again, you know, we, we love to hang out uh, and talk with people. If you guys want to um, have a conversation, you want to toss ideas back and forth. Um, we would love to, to talk on Twitter. Um, let me see here. I'm pulling up our Twitter page. Come check us out. It is at uh, Nick and Griff show. Um, we, we would love to shoot some DMS back and forth. Let's have some fun with that. And, uh, maybe, maybe one of these days we'll have, uh, we'll have, uh, some more guests on, um, we can have some cool conversations, you know, I, at the end of the day, we're just here to, uh, we're here to learn with, along with everybody else, share what we're learning. Oh man. Have you guys seen this? Look at this. This is, uh, from documenting Bitcoin, the page. Um, Man, getting ads here. Um, so the uh, the Bitcoin network just passed, and this was a little while back, just passed uh, Visa's settlement volume for 2021 at $13.1 trillion, which is really cool, right? So we can see the Bitcoin network is, is settling more than the Visa network. Um, but here's the shocking piece. Um, oh, the Bitcoin network is actually collecting 0.3% in fees uh, uh, as a percentage of total settlement volume, whereas Visa is collecting 0.22%, um, not quite half, but nearly, nearly half. Uh, 
of what Visa's transaction percentage is compared to Bitcoin. That's really cool. Uh, but anyways, uh, I digress. Come check us out on, uh, on Twitter. We'd love to have conversation with you. Um, if you guys are listening on Spotify or Google Podcasts or, or Apple Podcasts, um, we also post our videos on YouTube. You can uh, watch Griff and I hang out live. Uh, well, not live, but on video. I don't know. Maybe you don't want to see that. It's all good. Uh, but hey, thank you guys for listening to another episode. This was kind of a shorter one. I hope it was a little, little bit more digestible. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys again next week. I hope you guys hammer it out this week. See you.